The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. Okay, the new Iron Maiden double album, The Book of Souls, is out now. And I've got Bruce Dickinson, the legendary Bruce Dickinson, here to tell us all about it. Iron Maiden put out a double album in today's digital music era. How insane is that? Nobody does that anymore. And you should see the packaging for this, the album cover uh, we've seen, but you should see the inner inner workings, the liner notes, the uh, artwork inside. It's totally great. The album is ridiculously good. you got to go check it out. We're going to talk all about that. Plus, Bruce, as of course he is, is going to school all of us on World War One air pilots, as he is a pilot. He's going to tell us what it's like to fly one of those old planes as well. Plenty of great Maiden stories, stories about uh, when he cut his hair, Stories about Wise Cousin Chad's band Cletus and the t-shirt that he gave Bruce back in 1988. Bruce remembered it. Uh, the songwriting process, Bruce's relationship with Steve Harris. So many great stories. And plus, we're going to talk about Bruce's scare of tongue cancer and larynx cancer. The immortal Bruce Dickinson, the air raid siren himself. So many great stories coming up. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder, and rock and roll, the spell you're under, has been broken by Chris Jericho, the remedy for boredom has arrived, the people's podcast is here, let's go for a ride, cause it's Friday,
aside, I always said that that is the uh, best Iron Maiden song that Iron Maiden never wrote, especially with the song title, Parascaveda Catriophobia, which is the fear of the day Friday the 13th. It's not Friday the 13th today, but it is Iron Maiden Day. Book of Souls has just come out, and I worked my collective uh, literal figurative butt off to get Bruce Dickinson live here on Talk is Jericho. I want to bring you the biggest guests that I can possibly get, and let me tell you the long story, the long road. Here's what I have to do to uh, get these people on the show for you. Uh, I know Rod Smallwood, Iron Maiden's manager. For whatever reason, I met him years ago, and I've always kind of got along with him well, and he is a Fozzie fan. He comes and sees us whenever we play in Brighton, which is where he lives, the Brighton Concord, too. Shout out to the Brighton Concord. Always have great gigs there. And he came and saw us there a few times. The one time I was convinced he was coming to scout us to open for Maiden, and he came and watched the show, and when we were done, I said, what do you think? He said, that was good, but don't wear shirts with big faces on them. I was wearing a shirt with the Rev from uh, from Avenged Sevenfold, a big face of his. Rich was wearing like a big shirt of like a fox or something like that. He's like, all you guys with sleeveless shirts with big faces on them, please don't do that. And I was like, all right, there you go. Fashion advice from Rod Smallwood. But anyways, the last time we were there, we were talking about, uh, about you know the stuff that I do, and I was telling about the podcast, and I wanted to get Rod Smallwood on. Rod said it wasn't the right time because Bruce had just been diagnosed with tongue cancer, and they didn't really know exactly what was going to happen with Bruce and with all of his issues that, that uh, were going down with him. So I said, well, when you're ready to promote the new record, let me know, and I want a piece of it. I said, I- I'd like to do it in person, and I want Bruce or Steve, being Steve Harris, the bass player for for Iron Maiden. And he said, well, I can't guarantee that. He said, I'm not sure what we're going to do, but I'll try and get you one of the lads. I said, well, I want Bruce or Steve. I said, my show is uh, blowing up over here, super popular. We've now done over 100 million downloads. Wow. Thanks to all of you guys for listening to the show and for making that come true. So I said, well, keep me in the mix. I sent them all the details, got, got connected with Iron Maiden's publicist. And lo and behold, a couple months later, when Bruce has announced that he's okay and Book of Souls is coming out, and I just contacted them again, keep me in mind when you guys do some press. So about, I guess, about a month ago, I get a call from from Iron Maiden's press agent, uh, Todd Nakamine. Shout out to Todd. Thanks for all the help. Uh, And also thanks to Dave Shack. And thanks to Rod Smallwood for, for kind of helping uh, make all this happen. But uh, Todd said, well, you, you, you can get Bruce for a phoner. He'll be in New York City on you know, August 31st and September 1st. And I said, well, if he can do a phoner, then why can't we just do it in person? I mean, if he has to get in the phone unless he does interviews while he's in bed, and I can even deal with that. I don't care. And uh, they were like, well, let's see if we can work it out. And I said, I'll come to New York. I'll fly to New York specifically for Bruce because person face-to-face in-person interviews are always better than doing them over the phone. Now, I'll do them over the phone if I have to, and we can always have good shows that way. But face-to-face is always better. Plus, it's Bruce Dickinson. I mean, come on, Bruce Dickinson, one of my all-time vocal heroes, one of of my favorite vocalists from one of my favorite bands. I mean, I've got Iron Maiden tattooed on my arm, for gosh sakes. So... They called me back and said it'll work out and said, how much time do you need? I said, well, um, I knew if I shot for the stars, I said, well, if I ask for 60, maybe I'll get 45 because they're offering 30. I'm like, well, I usually do 60. That's usually my limit. And they came back and said, fine, you got an hour with Bruce Dickinson in New York City on Tuesday, September 1st. Oh, my gosh. So I did the show in Tallahassee for the WWE ending the Y2J summer tour. 
Then flew to New York City the next day. I did a, a podcast that evening, which I'll announce uh, later on. And then the next morning, Tuesday morning, at, uh, at, at the Undisclosed Hotel in New York City, Bruce Dickinson and I uh, were set to have our, our chat. So I got a, a room at the, at the hotel, went at 10.30 to the room where I was supposed to be to talk to Bruce. And then I had to wait. And while I was waiting, because Bruce was finished, uh, finishing up another interview in another room, Todd and Dave Shackey showed me the new Maiden record. The packaging on it is insane. I finally got a chance to, to read all the lyrics because I had gotten the album the week beforehand and I had to sign a waiver to get it. That's how old school Iron Maiden is. Back in the day, you wouldn't be sent advanced copies of the record. You would go into a room and you would hear the album once and then write your reviews based on hearing it once. And then when people started to... Uh, leak albums and and they used to you know all the mp3s and all that sort of stuff they stopped doing that completely so you still send advanced copies out but for a band like maiden they're only sending streams and you have to sign a waiver to get one and that waiver says if you play this for anybody else if this leaks in any way shape or form every one of the uh the, the streams that we're sending you has a, has a name has a number on it has a code on it and we'll know that it's yours so, you know, mine is number 2728 or whatever. So if I if this leaks out anywhere, they just have to punch it in. They'll see 2728 and then they can sue me. So needless to say, I've been listening to the new Maiden record for about two weeks now, week and a half, and I haven't let anybody hear it. I've just been crowing about how great it is. My favorite song so far. Actually, the whole first side is incredible. Uh, when eternity fails, if eternity fails, if eternity should, fa- yeah, if eternity should fail, I love speed of light. I love the red and the black, the book of souls, when the river runs deep. And then of course the 18 minute epic, the empire of the clouds written by Bruce Dickinson. We'll talk all about that upcoming. So uh, anyways, I got a chance to see the new record, the packaging of it. And Maiden still goes that extra mile to give you you know, the, the little bit extra as, as a buyer, especially in this day and age when everybody just downloads it off of iTunes or whatever it may be. Maiden still gives you a reason to want to buy the physical copy. And I saw the, the LP and I saw the CD. The CD is just as impressive. There's a book inside and there's all this great artwork and all this cool stuff. Maiden's one of the last bands that when they put a new record, there's still a buzz about it. You know, there's still it's still an event. I remember taking the bus downtown to Wreckers on Wheels in Winnipeg, Manitoba to get somewhere in time. And I'll never forget walking in and hearing Heaven Can Wait. And I knew it was the new Maiden, but obviously I hadn't heard it yet. And I just sat there and listened to it as I was looking at the front cover of Somewhere in Time and just going over all the clues and all the pictures. And the new, the new record just kind of has that vibe to it as well as far as the packaging of it and stuff. So it was an event in 1986 to have a, a new Maiden record come out. And it's an event now in 2015 to have a new Maiden record come out. And so getting a chance to interview Bruce Dickinson before uh, the record came out, I mean, you know, all my friends are like, oh my God, I can't believe it, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. You got Bruce Dickinson. I'm like, well, it's really cool. And I'm fanboying out about it now. But at the time, as soon as Bruce comes in, I got a, I got a job to do. You know, I got to be a professional. And we've never really met. We've crossed paths a few times. And I'm, I'm pretty good friends with Adrian Smith and Iron Maiden, but Bruce never really talked to him much. So he doesn't know me. He doesn't know what kind of a show I have. Probably knows nothing about me. But as soon as we started talking, he was, boom, he's super into it, super excited, super happy. As you'll hear, he was great during the interview. Never learned so much about World War II, II uh, biplanes in my life, <laughs> as you'll hear. And then as soon as the interview was done, he basically got up and they were on to the next thing. You know, and they tried to wrap me up after 45 minutes. And I was like, sure, 
just a couple more questions, then we ended up going another 10 minutes. So I got my hour. <laughs> I always get what I want. <laughs> and uh, he got up and shook my hand. I took a picture with him, and he was out the door. So I did get an email later on from the publicist and from Rod saying that Bruce really enjoyed the interview. It was a blast. Bruce Dickinson, one of the greatest rock and roll singers, one of the greatest front men of all time, and a super interesting guy. So the fact that I got an hour with Bruce, I, I take great pride in that and uh, really thank Iron Maiden and the whole Iron Maiden organization. And I'm telling you right now, The Book of Souls is a uh, tremendous record. It's long. It's 90 minutes long. It takes about three or four listens to start really getting into it. Uh, some of the songs, some of the songs pop right off the bat, like Speed of Light. But listen to it. Listen to it a lot. It's my favorite Maiden record so far, basically since the reunion happened, and maybe even before that, since Seven Son of a Seven Son. So go out and check that out. Bruce Dickinson is coming up very, very soon. I'm excited. Bruce, always good to his fans, and uh, I try and emulate that with my fans, all of you great, great Talk is Jericho, Sexy Beast listeners. As a matter of fact, I got an email the other day sent to the podcast, one email from uh, Tina St. Pierre, and she asked if we could wish her husband, Ken St. Pierre, uh, happy birthday. He's turning 43. He's a big fan of Fozzie, a big fan of Talk is Jericho, and his birthday is actually today, September 4th. So it's uh, not only Book of Souls, Bruce Dickinson Day, but it is also Ken St. Pierre Day. So this show officially is the uh, Ken St. Pierre Presents Talk is Jericho featuring Bruce Dickinson. So there you go, Ken. Thanks for helping me present this show. Happy birthday to you. you got a great wife there. Tina made this happen. And I made it happen uh, to say happy birthday to you. So, happy birthday and uh, Bruce Dickinson. Book of Souls Day coming up after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, in the, uh, in the catacombs of the uh, Iron Maiden uh, uh, hotel here, with, I have to bring this up with the Air Raid Siren, Bruce Dickinson. Okay. Best nickname ever. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, who that? Yeah, it wasn't me that thought of it either. It was Rod, actually. Oh, he, he came up with it? Yeah, he came up with it. Yeah, he, he attributed it to uh, uh, some, some inventive fan, uh, but it was him. <laughs> it was uh, like a publicity uh, yeah, trip? Yeah, and the same thing with, I think, whatever the quote is on the back of the. Uh, uh, the the album the uh, number of the beast album you know dedicated to all like earth rats earth rats hell dogs and whatever and and, 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 and we all we all, we all went we all, we all what is this shit yeah. and, and he goes he goes oh it sounds great I said what is an earth rat you yeah. know you know I know. You know I, I grew up in Canada right so when I read that I thought maybe that's some kind of an English uh, a term for a headbanger yeah and an earth rat I'm I like uh, no you know anyway yeah. never mind well, so, earth rats yeah, and hell dogs earth rats hell dogs and whatever else yes yeah, so, that only lasted for the number of the beast record the air raid siren yeah we put a stop to that after that (laughs) no 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 the air raid siren thing that that sort of carried on you know uh but uh, if I no, actually, no, no, no. Now I come to think of it, I know exactly where the air raid siren came from. It was um, it was a complaint letter that somebody saw us at the Rainbow Theatre, uh, which is where I made my sort of uh, uh, UK uh, debut. We'd mm-hmm. done four or five shows in Italy. Uh, and then we came back and we did the Rainbow Theatre. So, of course, there were lots of people there that had uh, seen, um, you know, Paul, the previous singer. And uh, so... 
uh, they obviously I was the new boy on the block, you know, and somebody wrote a letter saying, uh, uh, oh, the new singer sucks, you know. It's like hearing your favorite songs played through a cement mixer by an air raid siren. <laughs> and, uh, and and he went, oh, I like that, the human air raid siren. Right. And so, so he stole that from the letter of complaint. That's the, right. The I human cement now. mixer doesn't have the same ring to Not it. Not something else. The human yeah, air raid yeah, siren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and here we are, though, on the eve of, of, of Maiden putting out the new record, Book of Souls. And first of all, the, the audacity you're showing to put out a double record in this day and age. Don't you know that, that, that you're not supposed to do that anymore? Well, no, I don't know how they're going to stream it. I mean, uh, I don't know. How, <laughs> yeah. how do you stream an 18-minute song? I think, yeah, I absolutely, think you, you know, right. You break the network or something. I don't know what you do. I mean, uh, But it's yeah. amazing. to like We were just actually, as we were waiting for you, looking through some of the packaging of this new record, Book of Souls. And it's incredible. The artwork, the lyrics, you know, the picture of the, of the band, mm. you know, in the, in the Mayan kind of uh, totem pole or whatever it may be. Yeah. Still such a, um in this day and age when people don't read lyrics and don't even have a lot of physical copies maiden's still going the extra mile to put out something extra yeah but i mean uh that's the whole point if you, why bother writing lyrics if you don't want people to read them mm -hmm. you know? so um uh yeah i mean i guess we're throwbacks or something or some strange some strange breed of animal that that thinks that actually what we do is worth something yeah but 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 your millions of fans agree with that yeah well that's great i mean and it's great there are people out there that actually do think that things are worth uh listening to and worth keeping i, I think more people actually than than uh some people realize uh, mm -hmm. think that uh, right you know, because I, I don't think that all human beings are, are necessarily shallow and, and, and defined by what they see on, you know, uh, TV about, ho you know, Hollywood wives or, what, or whatever yeah, it yeah. is, you know, that sort of, you know. But the thing is, is you know, listening to it, the, the streaming copy, which I had to sign a release for, which is also oh, right. very okay. old yeah, school yeah, and cool. yeah, yeah. So the thing about Iron Maiden is like, you know, growing up as a fan, I actually learned things from Iron Maiden. You could learn, like, what is a rhyme of the ancient mariner? Mm -hmm. Who's Samuel Taylor Coleridge? Whatever. Mm -hmm. So listening to the new record, I can't read the lyrics because I don't have them. Oh, really? Well, because I didn't have them. Now I'm looking oh, at right. them today. Oh, okay. right. I was devouring them because I'm like, I don't know what these songs are about, but I need right. to learn because they have such great titles. And you know they're historical and account or whatever. That's something that, that, that Maiden always, uh, always did. You're doing it on this record as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of having like, a, like you know, Empire of, of, of the Clouds. Yeah. Obviously, it's about some kind of a warship or something but i don't yeah. know because i yeah. can't read yeah. the lyrics yeah 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 yeah. You know? yeah well that's actually that that's actually got quite a big canadian connection if you uh, uh you oh know. really yeah well it's sister ship the the r100 um uh, airship uh did a transatlantic crossing to uh montreal and back um and that was built by a guy called uh designed by a guy called Barnes Wallace and he designed the bouncing bomb that famous that, that in the dam busters that mm -hmm, did mm -hmm. the German dams and things like that. So, um, yeah. And it's, uh, that in itself is a whole other story that how they built these two ships, one, one beside the other one was, one was government funded. Uh, and the other one was privately funded and the, it was like a competition between the two to see which one would win the contract to, send all these airships around the world this big armada that was supposed to link the empire you know mm. link you know the england with australia and canada and, and this big sort of conveyor belt of, of oh, airships the commonwealth. Going, yeah the commonwealth yeah all of that stuff yeah um and um so uh the r100 which is the privately built one built by vickers uh flew first and flew across the atlantic and back and went there you go 
And they said, well, you can't win the contract yet because we've got to let the government one, which was bigger. And the reason it was bigger was because everything on it was heavier and took longer. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, the R101 was the one that took off for India um, before it was adequately tested, before it was structurally sound. What is um, it, a, like a plane? Is it just a big it's giant? A, like gi- a giant airship. It's a Zeppelin. Think Hindenburg. Okay, so you're looking more of... Okay. Think Hindenburg. Gotcha. Uh, but it was bigger than the Hindenburg, I think. And it was uh, it was so big, in fact, that you could put the Titanic inside That's it. That's one of the lyrics. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and you could, you could fit the Titanic inside it from the top of the funnel to the, the, the bottom Which of the incredible. keel. This thing is huge. It's huge. This thing's floating over your head, you mm-hmm. know, just chugging over your head about 100 miles an hour, you know. Right. And uh, it had, you know, 50, uh, 54, 55 people on board it, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, 56, was it? I forget. Uh, anyway, there's 48 people survived, uh, died in it, it when it finally went down. And it was, a, it was a, a crash which, although it's not many people remember it now, at the time, it was, it was a, a combination of, if you can imagine the Challenger accident, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Titanic and the Concorde crash and all rolled into one. Mm. It was on that scale. And the, the, the bodies, when they came back to England, were uh, given a state funeral, gun carriages, procession. Uh, they were laid in state mm. in, in Parliament for three days, which only happens to kings and queens. And these weren't like all important people. These were just, just all the normal guys that were on the, on the thing. But there was royalty on board. There was uh, two ministers from the, the government were on board. They're all killed in it. What year are, you, are we talking? 1930. Okay. 1930. So, you know, it's a, a few years before the Hindenburg. But, of course, this thing crashed in the middle of the night in a, in a wood in, in Beauvais in northern France um, in a terrific storm. Um, and uh, when it crashed, nobody, nobody saw it. All they saw was the wreckage afterwards, you know, hmm. which uh, um, I've got the pocket watch of one of the survivors. Really? Yeah, and uh, a couple of artifacts from the from the airship itself that didn't weren't on the airship. They, they, they obviously they had duplicate sets of crockery and cutlery and all this kind of stuff. And I, I'm guessing that the, I've got a tankard, uh, which is uh, embossed around the top, "Welcome aboard" from the airship crew wow. from 1930. So leather tankard with a the airship embossed on the outside with a. a the registration of it. It's very cool. I went to an, an auction of, of airship memorabilia and, and came back with, with uh, the, the pocket watch was something I, I really had my eye on this. I think I, I am going to go after. Did you have you to know, go to do, an auction to do it? Oh, yeah. Was yeah, anybody yeah. else bidding for it as well? Oh, God, yeah. yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Bastards, stop it already. No, no. I, I was just <laughs> like, no, I was determined to do that. And there was a lot of stuff there from... Uh, from uh, you know the, the the Graf Zeppelin and the Hindenburg and set, sets of mm. sets of crockery which were you know left at home when it went on its voyages. You know the alternate sets, so they're all there. You know you could buy yourself a tea service from the Hindenburg, but those are going for kind of stupid money. Uh, and and uh, do you collect a lot of stuff like that? No, not a lot. Just that one. Not a lot. I I, specific I, I specifically was interested in getting some things about you know um, English English airships. And of course, everybody, everybody's all about the Germans. It's all about, you know, mm-hmm. there's a piece of a Zeppelin that crashed in the First World War. It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, we, we know all that. But actually, we have this huge industry um, that I found that absolutely fascinating, you know. And I was, when I was a kid, I used to make, mo- I made a big plastic model of the R101. So this um, is something you've been interested in your whole life. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Interesting. Absolutely. 
because yeah. because flying is 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 a, is a passion of yours. Yeah, and airships and the whole concept mm. of, of being a pilot and all this sort of thing. Yeah, when you were when you were a kid, did you want to be like for me? When I was a kid, I wanted to be a wrestler in a in a, in a rock and roll band, mm-hmm. and everyone was like, "Oh, you'll never do either one of those things." When you were a kid, did you want to be in a rock and roll band to be a pilot? No, I wanted to be. A, no, when I was when I was uh, 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 well, uh, it depends what age you just you know, like five or six years old. Mm-hmm. Um, Musician was the last thing on my mind. I wanted to be either an, uh, uh, a steam uh, a steam train driver or a, uh, a, a fighter pilot okay. or an astronaut. <laughs> I think astronaut goes for all of us. Yeah, right? you know. Yeah, <laughs> but a fighter pilot. So there would have to be a war for that to happen, though. No, you can get trained up as a fighter pilot. Okay. And that, and I mean, I, 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 I'm I'm not sure whether fighter pilots really quite like the idea of wars. Yeah, you know, it means they they get shot at and might die. You know, <laughs> so, yeah. but don't you fly some of those like biplane, old school World War Two planes as well? Yeah, uh, yeah. I've got a, a, a actually mine are a bit older than the re- the replica that I fly is a, a replica of a World War One airplane. Hmm. So they're even more primitive in in in, in it's the like way Red they, Baron they type. Stuff. It is. It yeah. is exactly. A, uh, it's uh, the one that I fly as a. A Fokker DR1 triplane, so it it is the three plane, the the, the the triplane type that 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 uh, von Richthofen flew um, at you know at a point in his career, but it's the one that everybody remembers. But he actually he actually flew many different types of airplanes. Um, so when you're flying something like that, like I mean, if you had any ever had any close calls, I mean, it seems like it wouldn't be very stable to be oh, it's flying not, it's a to- World it's War One to- biplane. No, it's not not stable at all. It's a fighter. It's yeah. it's designed to be unstable, um, which is why it's a brilliant dogfighter because all you have to do is blow on it and it it, it oh, goes. You it, want to be it, kind it of ch- change direction, weaving yeah. and turning. Yeah. Um, so it's fantastically unstable. So you have to fly it constantly. There's no autopilot. There's no electrical system on it. There's there's nothing. You've got a, you know, you've got a magnetic compass, and uh, that's it, really. Is it like driving a car without automatic uh, automatic transmission? Like, are you are you really having to hold onto the thing? And- oh no, it's very. The controls are the controls are relatively light, but they're very. Uh, they, it doesn't handle like a uh, a modern a modern aircraft. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which the, the you know, modern aircraft. A lot of the the you know weird characteristics have been have been taken out. They've been designed out, so the thing is you know quite controllable and docile. And you know, if it gets disturbed, it comes back to an, on an even keel. It's fairly stable. This was never designed to be like that, and they were never designed to last very long. Hmm. You know, they, they were, it was never envisaged that that these aircraft would uh, would last longer than you know, like six months or something, because hmm. they were going to get shot down. So eventually, right? Yeah, yeah. I, you know. So hence, they were made out of wood, and you know, the, you, you could you could kind of lash them up back together, and and, and off you go. The the airfoils that they they were uh, using for the wings, again, quite primitive in some respects, and 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 that meant that you know, when you fly. You know, behind another aircraft in one of these things, you know, when you get like disturbed air or something else like that, mm-hmm. um, the thing will stop flying. You can end up, you know, on your side uh, in a heartbeat in mm-hmm. one of these things and sort of wrestling the thing back to upright. Yeah. Um, and um, you've got to use everything. You know, you're putting great big boot full of rudder in there and all kinds of stuff to get it back, which with a modern 
aircraft it's 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 it is they are more docile you know and, it's, and on the ground it's, it's just a it's it's completely unpredictable you know even just landing it you mean or oh uh, yeah well i mean what you, the, these aircraft were never designed to land on a the whole concept that we have of a of a runway was just didn't exist mm. so you landed in a field and uh, whichever way the wind was blowing you landed straight into wind so there was no necessity to to have a you know, brakes. They didn't have brakes. You know, <laughs> yeah. you landed on grass. They had a tail skid, and um, that was it. And then they had a whole posse of guys would come running out to meet you, and grab hold of the wings of the airplane so it didn't sort of flip around and do a one eighty on you. Um, oh, really? And, so it's very light then. Um, it's not so much that it was light, but it was. Um, uh, you have no directional control on it once mm. that once the. Uh, once the tail actually sinks down onto the ground, on, 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 particularly on a triplane, because you've got such these three, it's like flying behind a big Venetian blind. Hmm. So what it does is it, it blanks the airflow from the propeller over the tail. Um, and at that point, you, you have no control. I mean, you've got, you don't have any brakes. You, you don't have any uh, wheel at the back to steer it with. So... Um, you know, if there's a breath of wind from the side and the thing starts to wibble, because it's so unstable, it'll just swap ends and, you know, be fine. Do, yeah, you, you do a 180 on, on yourself, right. you know. Um, and uh, it's, if you fly a triplane, you just you just better get used to uh, uh, sometimes ending up facing the wrong way around, you know, because uh, it just it, it is going to happen on you, you know. Well, you're very knowledgeable about this, and we're talking about the R101. You've, you built these models when you were a kid. What finally inspired you to write a song about it 35 years into your maiden career? I mean, this is tailor-made for a maiden song. Uh, yeah, I, I guess the, the thing was that um, I was originally, I had these bits, well, okay, I'll go back to, uh, how, the song was written on piano. Yeah. And, and uh, I didn't have a piano, and then about two or three years ago, I won a piano in a raffle. <laughs> and and so, so, so I, I go back and I take this piano back home, take it out of its cardboard box and the electric piano with a pair of speakers on it. And, uh, and uh, so I um, started mucking around on it, you know, and, and you, the first thing you do is you get, it's very easy to come up with you know, little atmospheric things mm-hmm. that suggest a little melody or something. So um, what I thought these little melody things were going to turn into was you know, something, I was going to write something about the First World War, and it would start off a very atmospheric, you know, morning, and then something horrific would happen when they took off. And uh, But that didn't happen as a song. Death or Glory happened instead okay. with, with Adrian. And so I thought, mm, okay, well, so what do I do with all these little pieces? And I'm sat there, and I've got my kind of, you know, little writing room and the, with where I, I sit and tinkle on the piano and, and stuff. And, and And behind me in the kind of like bookcase and stuff I've, I'm looking and I've got this big model of an airship and I've got the, the tankard and I've got the book about the crash and I'm thinking I'll just write it why don't you do the R101 story mm-hmm. and I went that's a big project and I went well you know you've got plenty of time so that's how the idea started and um, then it was, it was a question of planning it at that point then because you said well okay where are we going to start I said, well, I've got this bit about, you know, the morning sunrise, red before the blue. Let's start at dawn on the day it crashed. Mm. Let's do the last day. And, and, and through the last day, we tell the story of, of the, whole, the whole thing. 
so we can just flash back a little bit to some of the problems in telling the story okay. on the last day. And I thought, well, that's okay. Let's get started then. So we, I started writing some more words, um, and uh, I basically just I joined two book titles together as the opening two lines of the song. Hmm. There's a book called Empire of the Clouds, which is not about the airship. It's about um, it's about the, the British aviation industry, you know, after the Second World right, War, and okay. and how, how we basically gave it away, you know, to the rest of the world, you know, hmm. and, and screwed up. But um, I thought Empire of the Clouds. That's a. I was either going to call it that, or the other book was called To Ride the Storm, which is actually an accident investigation into the R101. And that was the source material of a lot of the, the facts that I got involved with. Um, so I thought, to ride the storm, okay. But Empire of the Clouds, that's, that sounds better to me. Mm-hmm. And it's ironic. It sounds epic. It sounds epic. And it's ironic as well, because it's exactly what it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be an empire in the clouds, of the clouds, you know, uh, the, the British Empire, and this hugely powerful airship going around, a symbol of national virility and everything. So um, I just joined the two book titles together, and the opening line was to ride the storm to an empire of the clouds. I thought, okay, so now, so that's the story you're going to tell. You're going to tell the story of to ride the storm to an empire of the clouds. Off we go. So the narrative, wrote the narrative bits, and then realized, okay, well, we're going to have a bit where the airship leaves the mast and takes off. Then it's going to have the exciting bit, and then it's going to go into a storm. And it's going to be chucked around in the storm, and we're going to write the storm bit, and then we're going to have the awful the ending of it, the crash, the crash at the end, and then somewhere in the middle of all this, I came up with this little bit, which is actually the intro. The intro to the song actually came up. I was about halfway through writing it, and um, so the the bit at the beginning, the little melody, happened at the beginning, and I thought oh, I could. That's great because that links so many pieces together I can sort of reprise it at the end and then I said well, you know what I've got a kind of a little overture thing going here at the mm-hmm. beginning because I can act- I've got so many little pieces now I can actually condense them all into a nice little instrumental section at the beginning in which you sort of state all the bits that yeah, are going to happen later yeah. on and it's kind of it becomes an almost a sort of little sort of concerto or whatever it is. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, symphonic I'm, thing. Yeah, symphonic thing, is. whatever that is. Guys, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know exactly. <laughs> you know. Um, so um, I went, hey, that's really cool. <laughs> I thought this is getting, this is getting excited. I'm getting excited about this now, you know. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's get back to Bruce Dickinson. When you're writing, you talk about piano. Do you have a guitar as well? Are you writing riffs and no. melody lines? No. no you sing all, them? No. no. It's all, all, all on... Uh... Uh, I, I, I write the I write the words down so I know what the melody wants to be in in, mm-hmm. in my head. Um, in the case of Empire, um, then uh, the the piano line itself is itself a melody. 
Yeah, sure. Um, so that kind of suggests the piano the line and the vocal line, line are the yeah, same. They're, the they're, they're more or less the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more or less the same. And in fact, it's 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 becoming a, a bit of an issue because uh, I, I've started writing more stuff on piano, and and it's now getting really hard to write the words because you sit there and you go, oh, "That's a really nice. Wow, I love that melody. It's great, isn't it? You know, mm. you think, well, what are you going to sing? Oh, I'd be ashamed to spoil it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't want to get that involved. Yeah. So, 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 do you take it to the band and say, "Here's what I've got," and then they kind of put together the, their pieces in there? Because I'm assuming if it's just a Dickinson song, as mm. Empire is, yeah. that you're writing the entire thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but you're not playing guitar, though. No, I play piano. So you just tell them this is how it goes. Yeah. So I, 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 I you know, so uh, um, the, all the bits that the see none of the bits on Empire were ever written with a with a guitar in mind. Mm-hmm. Everything was written for fiddles or burns or horns or strings or cellos or whatever, knowing full well that it was going to be played by guitars. Mm-hmm. But I didn't uh, have those the guitar in mind when I wrote it. But I realised clearly, obviously, it was going to get played by yeah. guitars. So the little kind of the mad little Irish that's that's an Irish jig that's a fiddle you know and and a burren and uh which was the which is an Irish what's it called a burren I think it's spelt b h o d r a n bodran but a bit of burren and it's uh if you ever go to a folk club and you see him it's like a like a big tambourine but without the bells okay on it and they they use a a beater so you get these great there's fantastic rhythms on it um and and that's that rhythm but get nick to play that and he understood exactly what what i was talking about when i said it's this was it's like a kind of thing for a baron and he went ah gotcha yeah and and he and he was off so he he actually was nick was really key to the whole thing because he had to link percussively all the atmospheres that were involved and, 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 and hold it all together. So he was fantastic, actually. And he was really excited about it. He sat, because I'd, I'd play him the bits. I'd, yeah. I'd, be, I'd add a new bit sometimes, and, and then I'd start arranging things. And I'd say, well, we've got it. This, this happens, and this happens. He goes, oh, this is really good, Dredd. He said, carry on, you know. And Steve was the same thing. And so I, I played Steve the whole lot in sequence. I had a great big list, two pages of A4 of arrangement. <laughs> and... Uh, and said, and then this happens, then that, then that, then this bit, and then this, this bit, and this, and then uh, then it goes to there, and then blah, blah, blah. And he went, yeah, don't change a thing. That's it. I went, wow, okay. <laughs> That's great, right? <laughs> you know, you know. Um, and, then off, uh, and then off we go. And then, then, of course, I had to play piano on the damn thing, which was, I mean, uh, and I am, you know, I'm, you know the the um, the one fingered Rachmaninoff, and even that's just a little finger. That's did all I've got. Did you use the piano that you won in the raffle? No, no. I, I tell you what, I wished I did because it. Uh, uh, I think it had a MIDI. MIDI uh, that would have had a MIDI out. Um, the uh, the we used a, a MIDI keyboard uh, mm. to go do it, which was a horrible thing. It was like some dreadful little Bon Tempe kids organ thing yeah. with absolutely no feel whatsoever. Um, and uh, uh, but. You know, we could get a take out of it that way because the, you know, my, my piano skills strictly limited. <laughs> you know, L plates on, you know, provisional, provisional driver, you know, yeah, yeah. training wheels, right? And uh, 
that way, at least if I, you know, if I screwed up a couple of notes, we could go into MIDI and just edit them and, and, and put them in the right mm-hmm. place. Because otherwise, we'd have been there till Christmas trying to get me to do a, a take of the whole song. Because the band has to play effectively to the piano for the first three or four minutes of that tune. Uh, something we've never done before. Never, uh, yeah. It's the first time know, I can um, think of a piano being on any Maiden song like yeah, that. Yeah, it's like the lead instrument. Um, right. And uh, so, yeah, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't suppose we'll ever play it live. Uh, in fact, I'm almost 100% certain we won't play it You'd live. You'd be like Elton John with the piano, oh, God, with the no, microphone God for, singing. God forbid, no, you know. You know <laughs> little cap and, on. Yeah, there'd be a little furry rabbit going across the top and being with a big mallet <laughs> yeah. trying to hit it, you know. <laughs> Whack-a-mole, you know. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you mentioned before you played this whole thing for Steve, is, is he kind of like the guy that you need to get the approval from to be like, let's do it? Uh, yeah, I mean, in, in I mean, in 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 general terms, yeah, mm-hmm. you know. So we'd go in and play stuff, and I mean, uh, there's going to be somebody who is that, uh, you know, uh, sort of an ultimate arbiter of life, universe, and everything. And it is Steve, basically. You know? Must be kind of cool when he gives you the thumbs up. You're like, all right, no, it's all right. No, yeah. it's good. I mean, but the the thing is, is that by the same token, you know. Um, if he comes along with an idea and, and everybody goes, mm, not sure about that, you know, uh, you can veto uh, him. As you well, can, well, it's yeah. not so much a veto thing. It's not. It, it's not. As, it's not as childish as that. Right? <laughs> you know, I mean, this um, is rock and roll. Come yeah, on, we're mature I, now. I, I know. Yeah, well, we are kind of. We're, we're depressingly so sometimes. Yeah, you know, right. but actually, I kind of prefer it that way. <laughs> <laughs> back different. Back when in the eighties, when you're in your twenties. Oh god, yeah, it's uh, full of piss and vinegar. And, yeah, yeah, it's a different god, style. Yeah. I was going to ask you too, as 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 a singer, I'm listening to The Red and the Black, which is a great song off the new record, mm. Book of Souls. And the melody line, it's a Steve song, and the melody line is very busy at parts. Yeah, I know. Is it hard sometimes to sing the lyrics? Because there's a lot of... Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. No, he drives me nuts when he does that. And I know why he does it now. I could never figure out why he did it, why he wrote words like that. And it's because he follows the... The, he follows the meter of the song uh, slavishly, absolutely slavishly. So me as a singer, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say, okay, so the song's doing that, so we don't need that syllable, that syllable, that syllable. We can kind of just like wave through it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, he's like, no, no, he's like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
Okay. Yeah, you can see that Tears of a Clown. I kind of was wondering that right off the bat. Yeah. How was I mean that we were kind of laughing earlier about you know in the in the first the first wave of Maiden's giant huge popularity in the eighties and then now Maiden bigger than ever in two thousand and fifteen. You mentioned the relationships are different because because you're older. How is the relationship with Steve and Bruce in 2015 in comparison to 1988 or 85? Oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah, really good. I mean, I just said last night, and I got diagnosed with 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 all this stuff, you know. Yeah. And we were chatting on the phone. He said, "How you doing?" I said, "Yeah, I'm okay," you know. And he said, "Oh, I said I'm going to send you a present." I went, "Oh, oh, that's nice," you know. And he sent me a trampoline. He said, I know you're watching a lot of daytime TV at the moment. He said, he'd give you something to like to exercise. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it was like I was like there was I, I once went out with a the, there's a side story. It's lovely. It's very sweet. And 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 uh, and, uh, and, and uh, the kids would come in and go, Dad, why have you got this little trampoline in front of the TV? I said, just Steve just sent me it so make me feel better. He's <laughs> jumping up and down. I watched, watched the, I watched a football match, you know, and I'm like, watching jumping up and down this trampoline, you know. And, and I thought it's really this is really dangerous. I'm going to fall off this and kill myself in a minute. You know, <laughs> part of the new stage show. Bruce is doing flips yeah. on the trampoline you know, while singing. Oh, funny man! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I once went out for uh, a beer with years ago, back in the in, back in the eighties, and we were in Amsterdam doing a record. And um, for some reason, the boss of the Amsterdam chapter of the Hell's Angels was was hanging out and he was a very nice guy because we're not hell's angels so we didn't, didn't want to know about whatever mm-hmm. he got up to but and he had terrible girlfriend problems so we, we went out once for sort of a a guy thing you know and and we're getting drunk he's talking about his girlfriend and all these issues and stuff and then he got around to saying you know how great it was, you know, with the chapter because they used to help all the other Hell's Angels and he's stuffing. And I said, one of my guys, he goes, he said, uh, he said, oh, it was just so cool. He said because he was he had terminal cancer and he was he was dying. And he said, and uh, and he said, uh, and we all clubbed together and we got him a dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, okay. And he said, oh, I said the guy was in tears. He said, <laughs> he said, he said, I've never had a dishwasher before in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just this bizarre moment. Right, what, do you die, what do you buy somebody who's dying of cancer? Have a dishwasher. There you, you know, go. It's you, perfect. I mean, you can yeah. have clean dishes, damn yeah, it, one know. way or another. Yeah, Don't you know. I mean, I, mean I, I, just, I, just, I just, it's just a bizarre aside. <laughs> I thought, is this my dishwasher moment? You know, I mean. <laughs> well, when you're talking about trampoline and kind of we're laughing, but when you're preparing for, for a tour, it's been a few years, yeah. and talking about the melody lines that you're singing and the new record, it hasn't changed. It's still the classic Air Raid Sirens. Yeah, it's full on, yeah. It's all full on, yeah. And you still sound great. You can hit all those notes. Mm. And you pick your spots for the really crazy screams, number mm. of the beasts, etc. Mm. But you sound great. How do you prepare for a tour knowing the task ahead of you, not just singing these mm. melody lines, new ones, ones that you sang when you were yeah. 25, yeah, yeah. and also putting on the show that you put on as yeah. a great front man? Yeah. Um, well, you, you have to give yourself uh, plenty of, um, uh, of lead-in time, mm-hmm. really. I mean, uh, when, when, you, when you're in... in you know, two three weeks into a tour, you you go into sort of tour mode. You, you, your voice is, becomes kind of fairly bomb proof. You know, you, you, it, it, it's just used to doing it every day mm-hmm. or every other day or whenever we do it. Um, and and uh, yeah, and you can take a break of 
you know, uh, three, four weeks and come right back and, and it'll, it'll, it'll be, it'll be right back. It's like, ah, oh, nothing really is, nothing much changes, you know. And you take a break of a few more months and, uh, you think, ah, oh, yeah, I'm going to need uh, a couple of weeks to, to get back into this, depending on what you've been doing in between. I mean, if you've been singing in an album or, or stuff like that, then yeah, great. Should, shouldn't be, a, shouldn't be an issue. Um, but obviously I've been off, um, from you know finishing the album november till november it's gonna be a year and a half uh since i've done any real really mm. sort of big big old belting on the voice and of course a lot has happened in between you know right. with the health thing and, yeah. and uh, you know taking taking lumps out of my my uh the, the the space in my throat um so at the moment while things are still returning to normal uh i mean things are still pretty normal you know but mm. But in terms of getting that 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 last bit of healing done on the inside, that's you know another. I've got another two three months, you know, waiting time before I start start really starting to to to, to get just wailing. For people that don't know, this is, you had you had some some cancer issues in your tongue and in your throat. Yeah, and that's been taken care of. But you're still healing from the radiation, radiation. treatment. Yeah, the radiation. Gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. because the the uh, I had a, a golf ball basically in my tongue. It was, it was about in this, your tongue. Yeah, in the base of my tongue, which goes oh, all right your tongue back. goes right the way back there. Okay. So basically, the the, the, the the effectively almost the head of this sure microphone was growing. Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> Maybe you swallowed Maybe a microphone. Maybe I, I was know. growing a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I had one. Years. I had one. One back here, and then another one in the lymph node next door, um, which is two and a half centimeters. And uh, so they got rid of that with chemo and radiation at the same time, um, which finished in uh, finished in March. And I'm still the radiation still cooks you for another three months. Mm-hmm. Um, so. March, April, May, so uh, then I had the scan, which gave me the all clear, which is great, uh, and then you you really start to undo the the damage that was that, that was done, you know. So crazy stuff that you don't really think about in normal life, like uh, uh, your, your saliva has been pretty much wiped out, mm. uh, the glands have been pretty much wiped out, but they will recover. And so mine are, you know, like I've got loads more now than I did like two months ago. Um, mucous membranes just quit. They quit. Hmm. So you're not generating any mucus to lubricate the, the soft tissues here. So it, it is like being in the desert 24-7. Uh, so you can't really sing in that state. Right, um, as a singer to keep lubricated is absolutely. the most important thing. Absolutely. So um, uh, lubricated as opposed to hydrated. Because mm-hmm. you can drink water till you blew it in the face. That's great. But you need to let those cells physically regenerate and mm-hmm. start working again. And there's just nothing you can do to hurry up that process. It's going to take as long as it takes. But given, I mean, I've been really good with the recovery so far. The, the last... I had a checkup last last week, you know, and I have a checkup every month. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a look with the scope and the doctor. He goes, yeah, he said, that's looking really, really good. He says, healing up fantastically. He says, there's a few little bits of swelling there that's just starting to, you know, disappear now. And mm-hmm. yeah. So even now, you know, you're you know, three, four months out, there's still residual swelling in there that will take time and time and time to to go away having said that i'm chatting away and yelling and the great news is is that the larynx um 
was completely unaffected. Mm-hmm. It was never affected, was never part of it, was never zapped by the radiation. Um, so that's great. So all the notes are still there. So you've practiced and done a few. Oh, yeah, I've been in the kitchen, had a good yell, you know. And I was saying, can I do Troop Up? Yeah, can we do Troop Can we do the opening song? Yeah, let's do the opening song, you know, for, right. for the new song and new album and everything. And, uh, uh, you, you know, you do notice there's a few bits that go, oh, that's a bit weird and it sounds a bit strange and a bit scratchy. And, but there's all the power, all the power is there. And because, that, again, that's nothing to do with it. Um, and all the high notes are there. It's just some of the ones in between. And I think yes. it's, it's a question. I think it's almost a question of uh, it's like being an athlete and you've had, let's say you're a sprinter or something else like that, and you've had some real major tendon damage and they fix it all up and you can walk around and you can, you know, do stuff. And people say, oh, so you look fine. You look great. Yeah. So you're going to run the 100 meters. They went, ah, uh, it's going to take a little while. Yeah. And we've got to really work up to that, you know, right. um, because uh, it's not quite that simple. You know, mm-hmm. even though I can take the t- stairs two at a time and I can, I can run for a bus. <laughs> it's a little bit different when you're trying to do a nine and a half second hundred meter dash. Yes, or a two hour Iron Maiden show singing. Exactly. Exactly. Is, is there a song uh, a song in the set that that you have to play like a trooper? That's you see it and you go, it's it's not hard to sing, but it's a little bit of a challenge. Oh, there there usually is one in every show, and actually, it's not so much the song; it's where it is located in the set. In the set, so. Uh, you know uh dependent upon where it's located you know r- run to the hills can be uh, you mm. know pain in the neck uh uh but and the same thing with you know hallowed sometimes uh um aces high was always like on the last tour it was the first encore so no pressure there then you come back and have a big thing fanfare you know <laughs> yeah. flares everything else and you've you, you've got to hit all these notes and of course you've already been going for an hour and hour and 40 minutes or something so aces high was always the um the uh take a big deep breath and like okay relax 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 come on you know how was it when you opened with that song back um, in the day that was that was the whole power yeah, slave opening song, yeah well sometimes tour. opening with a song like that you know you you get it out of the way early yeah okay you know uh so and also psychologically it's strange because the the, the 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 audience often they're, they're not listening that hard because they're a bit overwhelmed by everything. They're so excited so by, to see you. Yeah. By, the, by the time you screwed it up, they've missed it. You know, <laughs> you're on to the next one already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you're, you guys are famous for doing these long marathon worldwide tours. You got one coming up, and still playing new countries. I just read something. I think it's I don't know El Salvador or someplace. Yeah, El Salvador. Yeah. That's that's amazing to me. That there's still places you haven't played. Yet. No, there's plenty. There's there's loads actually. There's loads. I mean, I mean, the band have played in South Africa before, mm-hmm. but I haven't. So I mean, there's loads of places oh, that yeah, okay. I've, I've never done Cape Town and, and Joburg before. Uh, I mean, uh, and uh, for example, uh, China. We've ne- we, none of us have been to China before. Hmm. So that's good. I'm really really looking forward to going to China. It's interesting. You'll, you'll appreciate. I was there a few years ago to do a show, and in uh, Shanghai, and the architecture. Mm-hmm. You seem like the type of guy that would be impressed by the amazing architecture. Right. It seems like each building, like the guy whoever made it, 
is like, okay, I'm going to outdo this building. With okay, mine, and I'm yeah. going to outdo this building. With mine. Oh, it's right, a beautiful right. city. Yeah, it's something you can just actually look and see. Like this is great, you know. Yeah. And that's one of the things that's cool about going around the world, the different cultures and the different things that you see. And uh, I remember the uh, maiden behind the Iron Curtain when you guys went to Russia or Poland. That's it. First time back, yeah. like in '84 or whatever yeah. it was. That's the one. It's still an amazing uh, documentation of how things were back in those yeah, days. Yeah, no, it was a great documentary, that. Yeah, it really was. It really was. Yeah. And I remember watching it as a kid. When you're a kid, you watch it over and over and over. Yeah. You probably quote the whole damn thing. Yeah. Iron Man at the Polish wedding. Yeah, no, that's it. <laughs> no, there's great moments in time, you know. It's just the, the, the little, little, little fossilized cracking moments, classic stuff. Yeah, that's great. When you think about, like, all the places you've been, what, what countries stand out for you as having interesting experiences? Well, Brazil and Brazil and Chile, mm. I think, you know. Um, but funnily enough, Uruguay. Uruguay? Yeah, I went to Uruguay, and, and that, was a, that was an interesting experience because they, we, we played um, – I, I, I love railways and things and trains and stuff. And the, the gig was a train station. And what they'd done was they had uh, they obviously had two or three different like m- main stations in U- Uruguay, and they'd one day just uh, and this this had like sixteen tracks, uh, and it was it was it was reminiscent of a an English train station from the nineteen fifties, terminus you know, there was sixteen tracks all with the the buffers, and they'd set up the stage over the tracks, so you were facing out, looking down the train shed, looking down the line. But there were no trains. Well, there were, but they were sitting there. They were kind of mothballed, and they were old steam engines. And further up the line, like about two miles up the line, uh, then they, they trains were actually operating from another station. But they just kind of cut this uh, train station off hmm. and said, oh, shut now, that's it. And it's kind of fossilized it, you know. <laughs> and it was weird. It was like walking through a film set, you know, yeah. of nineteen fifties. And um when you did the show, the the track numbers were just about th- you know, three or four feet above your head. <laughs> uh yeah. and the audience was standing on the tracks. And it, it was like okay, you know. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of weird, but cool. And then I was wandering around during the, the daytime, you know, and having to poke around these old steam engines and things you know and a lot of them were german from the second world war um we did a lot of trade with with uruguay and there was a, a famous ship sunk in in the the river plate uh the uh graf spay i think it was which was a german battleship which uh was cornered there and the the skipper rather than go out and basically kind of commit suicide with his ship decided to scuttle the ship so he told all the sailors to go offshore, and he he sank the ship in the middle of the River Plate, mm-hmm. and that was it. There's a big standoff, and of course Uruguay was neutral, so all these two thousand, however many there were, German sailors went ashore and stayed there for the rest of the war and had a great time. Mm. You know, um, lots of little Uruguay, German Uruguayan little babies, um, and so we're doing this this gig there, and I'm suddenly sat there, and realizing that the railway that I'm looking at, no wonder it looks English, because it was all built by Welshmen mm-hmm. who were employed. And there's this big plaque on the wall saying, you know, all these people who built it, and they're all from Cardiff and Swansea or what have you. And outside was a tea shop. So I go into the tea shop, and I swear to God, this was a Bavarian tea shop. 
in the middle of Uruguay. <laughs> and on the wall was pictures, big black and whites, of the sailors from Graf's Bay and the Graf Zeppelin hmm. that used to stop in Uruguay on the way over. Right. Uh, there's these pictures of airships and zeppelins and things like that. I'm thinking, what an incredible experience. What a, this is surreal, you know. What Just a to mad see this, place yeah. To see this, all these little things fossilized, frozen in time, you know. So that was one of my favorite South American moments. And the other one was, you know, Brazil, um, you know, Rock in Rio, obviously big rock and roll moment. But the other one was the actual, the capital of Brazil, Brasilia. Hmm. which looks like that there's all this, I forget the name of the architect, but really famous architect. And he put in all these futuristic buildings in the middle of Brasilia. And you will imagine that you're actually on the set of, of um, Star Trek. Hmm. Just so cool. Um, and uh, yeah, so South America, it's a real, real interesting place. It's amazing you get a chance to go around the world and see all these things. And also the worldwide fan base of Iron Maiden is incredible. We talked earlier about how mm. the band is bigger now than ever. What is it about Iron Maiden that appeals to so many people everywhere in the world? Well, well, first, I think one of the things is that we are properly unique. Mm -hmm. um, the other one is that we are not just unique, but also I think we're pretty authentic. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we haven't sold out or done crass commercial things and, uh, you know, and, and anything we have done, like, you know, the, you know, the beer trooper and things like that, we've done with some style and we've done, we've done it well, you know, mm -hmm. and we've done stuff that's appropriate to our, you know, identity, you know, not just done stuff just to be, yeah crass and you know make loads of money and be a, be a schmuck you know it's 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 real like you said it's unique yeah. and it's real a few final questions uh it's funny in about 2008 i used to have really long hair i cut it uh -huh. and people were so outraged you got to grow your hair back how can you be chris jericho without long hair mm -hmm. and i was always thinking well bruce dickinson cut his hair mm -hmm. what did you get the same reaction when you first cut it from the rockers like uh, how can you be a bruce dickinson uh <laughs> yeah they get over it uh, uh you know and, and, and actually uh um, what I did discover that the, the store detectives didn't follow me around uh, in supermarkets anymore. You didn't get searched going through security <laughs> at the airport either, Because yeah, right? sure. you had the classic long hair of the 80s, super long oh, yeah. bangs. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I got... I um I, I used to get I used to get I, I was try, I remember trying to leave Canada once. Nick had got blood poisoning in his uh in his arm from blisters that had gone, you know... Uh, goopy you know mm -hmm. playing drums and we had to take a whole week off you know, in montreal in winter and we thought florida sounds nice so we we were going to hightail it out and i went through and i thought i'd go through i'd go through security and everything like you know really early and this is in the you know, early 80s somewhere and i've got this big like fur i've got this like fur coat and long hair i'm like 26 years old or something <laughs> you know and uh I've got a business class ticket and a huge carry-on bag. And this guy just takes everything apart, just takes the whole the whole thing apart. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there going, I don't take drugs, so I've got nothing to hide. So bang, you know, and he's got he's got talcum powder and he's sniffing it. I'm thinking, I'm going to give you a headache, you know. I mean, you know, and, and he goes, and, uh, and finally right at the bottom of the bag, this kid, from, some kid had given me like a, 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 a little studded wristband. And I said, thanks for about it. But in the bag, forgotten about it. He pulled it out and it's really small and it's got completely flattened 
studs. Mm. They're, they're not even they're not spiky in any way, shape, or form. They're flat. Yeah, they're the flat studs. Yeah. yeah. And he says, "Watch this." I said, "Stud a wristband." He goes, "This is an offensive weapon." I went, "You are kidding me, aren't you?" Yeah. I said, "No, you're not kidding, are you?" I said, "Okay." I said, "Well, I said I can't argue with you." I said, "Because if you say it is, then it must be so." Didn't even know I had it in my bag, to be honest with you. I yeah. said, uh, "I said, uh, throw it away. I don't mind." He said, "I can't do that. So it's a very serious offence." I went, "Ah, okay, all right then. Here's how it's going to be." Okay, so now what happens? I can't possibly tell you. It's outside my jurisdiction. <laughs> right? Okay. So, so somebody doesn't like my face today. So anyway, up comes the Mountie. Proper. You know, yeah, red, dud- red coat, hat, Dudley do right, the whole thing. You know, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, okay. So I said, pleased to see you, lads. You know, it appears that uh, blah blah blah. And he goes up, oh, yeah. So he's 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 inspecting it, like, mm, yeah, mm, yeah. I see the studs, yeah. See the problem, yeah. So they take me away. So I sit down. They takes me into a little side room, you know, and uh, I fill out a prisoner's arraignment form. You know, wow. and, and so I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the thing. I think uh, my flight goes in about half an hour. Okay. I said, okay. I said, so, um, right. So we, you've got the wristband and you probably know that, you know, you can buy these things on Yonge Street with like mm-hmm. six inch spikes coming out of them right. and everything else, you know, so I said, but regardless of that, he said, Empty your pockets. Went, okay, bang. And I just got my per diems. Uh huh. Right. So I had two one hundred dollar bills. And he goes, "Where'd you get these?" I said, "I got them from my tour manager, who who gives them to me every week as my per diems." And he goes, "Right." And he phones the serial numbers through of the bills. And they come back, and he goes, mm, "Guess that's okay then." You know. I went, yeah. "Okay." I said, "So here I am. I filled out your form." You've got the wristband. Now what happens? He goes, this, I said, this is a matter of the local police. He said, so it's outside my jurisdiction. I went, aha, uh-huh, I'm getting the picture now. Mm-hmm. I said, I said, do you ever gamble? And he said, I don't know what you mean, sir. I said, are you a betting man? I said, because I'm willing to bet that at one minute past half past, when my flight has gone, the local police were walking through that door. And at one minute past thing, the local police walked in, dressed slightly more drab. They were wearing what you know looked like a couple of grow bags, you know, and 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 stuff. Didn't have the red the red tunic and the hat and everything. Yeah. And they came in, and they were very sweet. And they and they too inspected the wristband uh-huh. and looked at it and felt, and they they discussed the flattened nature of the studs and how it didn't look like you could do much harm with that. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they said, well, maybe we should just confiscate it. <laughs> and uh, and and I said, thanks very much. I said, um, and he said, yep, you're free to go. <laughs> I went, thank you very much. May I have another? <laughs> so so I left, and I thought the next flight is in four hours, and I'm just sat there, me and a water cooler for four hours, uh, all because I decided to go through security early. And and this is a long time ago, you know. Yeah. And I think, and I'm trying to leave Canada. Yeah. You know. Exactly. I mean, I'm trying to leave. Honestly, you right. know. Uh, I would have thought, I would have thought a ne'er do well like me, you'd be wanting to get rid of me, you know. <laughs> so 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 I make it down. But strangely enough, years later, I get pulled over by the not the TSA but uh, US mm-hmm. 
customs or whatever, whatever it was. And they pull me over. This guy's looking really serious and he pulls me over. And I had my fencing kit with me. And I was coming into America and my fencing bag. And I was in the middle of writing a novel, Lord Iffy Boat Race at the time. And I had the, the, the part of the manuscript in the bag. And then I had some other stuff. And I was working, doing some solo stuff, I think, with Roy or whatever it was. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I turn up and, uh, and they pull me, you know, why are you here? I said, no, 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 I'm just coming here to go and work on a record in, in LA. Wait, wait, what's this? This is my fencing kit. What? Fencing kit? What do you mean? They look like, huh? Oh, oh. What's this? I said, it's a novel I'm writing. What? You know? And, they, and, 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 the, and after a while, they said, they went, okay, why have we stopped you? I said, I got no idea why you've stopped me. I said, I said, can you tell me? He goes, well, he said, you're obviously not a criminal. You're obviously not a drug smuggler. I said, so I don't know why we stopped you. I said, well, can you find out? He goes, yeah, hang on a minute. So, so he gets the supervisor in and the supervisor comes in and he goes, oh, let's have a look. He says, da, 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 da. He said, did you have a problem years ago in Montreal with a studded wristband? <laughs> <laughs> Last question. Uh, we're at Winnipeg, 1988. We hear Bruce Dickinson on the radio, Seven Sun Tour, and we're like, put two and two together. If he's on the radio, we can go to the radio station and we'll probably see him. Yeah. My cousin and I, we go, you come out, we're standing there like two idiots, don't know what to say, and you're like, would you like a picture? Yes, sir, Mr. Dickinson, take a picture. My cousin was in a high school band. Right. He, he, uh, <laughs> the band was called Cletus. And he oh, goes, I remember them. <laughs> I remember goes, them. He goes, Mr. He goes, Bruce, would you like a T-shirt from a, from a Saskatchewan? one rock band for Cletus and you said yes you took the t-shirt what did you do with the Cletus t-shirt I think I actually wore it somewhere I did wear it you know he is going to flip out <laughs> I remember that band you do really yeah, remember yeah. this I remember that it wasn't in Win- it wasn't in Winnipeg in winter was it it, it once- was Winnipeg uh, seventh sun tour no, probably no, fall because yeah. I remember uh, we did once play Winnipeg in the depths of winter and yeah it was that like would be minus- 84 probably power slave tour oh, yeah. god god I, 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 I went out and I went for a walk around the square in front of the hotel the most stupid thing I think I'd ever done for you know donkey's years I came back my eyes Eyeballs were like frozen, yeah, and, and I like everything was frozen. Your nose just, hair is yeah. hard. Oh man, I, th- I thought I'm not going to make it back. I <laughs> yeah, thought you know, Captain Scott's got nothing on this. You know, <laughs> strange in a strange land, you're going to yeah. find your buried corpse. What's yeah. your favorite song to sing live? Well, varies from tour to tour, but obviously, I mean, last tour, I just get a big, big. I always get a big kick out of singing Seventh Son. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that tune. You get really yeah. wrap your gills around it, yeah. and, you know, and let rip. You know, new record, Book of Souls, Bruce Dickinson. It's great to talk to you, man. And my cousin's going to flip on the Cletus T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Bruce Dickinson, the new Iron Maiden album, The Book of Souls, is out now. Came out today, as a matter of fact, and what an honor to talk to Bruce on the day of the album's release. My inner fanboy is freaking out. I can't believe he remembered Cletus. Like, literally, Chad gave him uh, the, uh, the Cletus shirt, and we were laughing the next day. Nico was probably polishing his cymbals with it or something along those lines. But Bruce remembered Cletus, and if he didn't remember, he sure did fake it well. So thanks to Bruce. Uh, I'm sure nobody else asked him that question during this crazy press junket that he had. He did so many interviews, but he was still so cool. I love the story about him with long hair. 
That's how it used to be. All of us that had long hair, you guys know what I'm talking about. We were always judged when we had long hair for being drug dealers. It must be a drug dealer. He's got long hair. But uh, cool to have Bruce on. And like I said, the Book of Souls, you need to go pick it up. And I know where you can get it. Amazon. You know what you do if you want to buy it on Amazon. Use the Talk is Jericho links. Go to podcastone.com. Click on the Supporter Show Sponsors banner at the top of the page. Eh? Hit the Talk is Jericho button. you got links in the USA, the UK, the Canada. Eh? Every time you use them links... Amazon kicks back a little money to help us pay the production costs, help me pay transportation costs to fly up to New York to talk to Bruce Dickinson live just so you can hear it. Go on to the Amazon links. Easiest way to support the show. Won't cost you anything extra. No hidden challenges, I promise. Go help me out with that today and go get the new Iron Maiden album, The Book of Souls on Amazon now. It is a cracking album. It's a great, great record. I'm super excited for all of you to hear it and we'll talk about it more next week. And I guess what else is going on next week? The Y2J WWE Fall Tour happens. Yeah, I got four countries in the next two months. Edmonton on the 11th, Calgary. There's Toronto, Syracuse, Rochester, Trenton, Madison Square Garden. Y2J 25th anniversary, Jericho versus Owens. A lot of you people wanted to see that. Now you get a chance to see it in Madison Square Garden, the most famous arena in the world, or live on the WWE Network. That is on October 3rd. You are going to love it. All right, then I go to Saudi Arabia, then I'm hitting Mexico, then October 30th, Fozzie's getting ready to rock out with the Kiss Navy on the Kiss Cruise. After that, we're taking the Cinderblock Party Tour back to the UK and Europe with Nonpoint and Sumo Psycho in tow. The dates start November 13th in Rotterdam, Vienna, Hamburg, Berlin, Cologne, November 20th in France, then Luxembourg, Reading, London, Manchester, Southampton, Birmingham. So many great shows coming up. Go to FozzyRock.com for all the cities, all the venues, all the ticket information. I want to see you there. Come rock with us. Thanks again to all of you. Thanks again to Bruce. Thanks again to my great sponsors, NatureBox. Use the promo code Jericho to get some free snackolas. DraftKings, use my, use my promo code Jericho to play for free. And SeatGeek, use my promo code ChrisJ to get a $20 rebate with your first purchase. Thank you so much for rocking with me. Thank you so much for doing what you do. Stay hard. Stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. And next Wednesday... I got another great rock and roll Hall of Famer, the return of Paul Stanley here on Talk is Jericho to discuss the 40th anniversary of Kiss Alive. That's right, September 9th, 1975, Kiss Alive was released. It might have been September 10th, somewhere in that area. And on the exact 40-year anniversary of that monumental, crazy live record, Paul Stanley will be here to talk all about that. Who gets you the best guess? Yeah, I do. Yeah, boy. Yeah, boy. Yeah, boy. Paul Stanley on Wednesday. We'll see you then. I'll give it all I got. You give it all you got. Woo! Pretty good. Check this out. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.